Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. This is a reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 through 13. Finally, brothers and sisters, farewell. Put things in order. Listen to my appeal. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment of silent reflection. Gracious God, in this moment of silence and reflection, of being open to listen, we pray that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say to us. In our world that wrestles with violence, often along color and racial lines, in our world that is still reeling from a global pandemic with all of its incumbent uncertainties, And simply in our internal world of our hearts and minds that are by default just restless, stirred up, anxious. We pray, Lord, that you would fill our minds with your truth. You'd fill our hearts with your love. You'll fill our lives with your presence and your light. That you would not only transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit, teaching us in a way that our lives would be transformed, but you would be sending us out to be agents of your renewal wherever we go. And so we pray now that you would speak to us, change us, send us. In your name, amen. Well, we come to this passage in 2 Corinthians on this particular Sunday, which is known as Trinity Sunday. This is the Sunday where we dive into the depths of God who is three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not three gods, one God in three persons. We'll jump into that a little bit more. But the the context of the passage that we're reading right now from 2 Corinthians is a letter that the Apostle Paul, an early church planter and very influential church leader, is a letter he's sending to this church in Corinth, which is an urban diverse community church. It's the second letter that he sent them, hence the word 2 Corinthians. And this is the end of the letter. He's saying goodbye. We teach our kids in my home that how you say goodbye matters. If you come to our home and you're leaving and our kids are there playing video games, I hope they pause it, they stand up, they look you in the eye, and they say goodbye. Thank you for coming to our home. How you say goodbye matters. Uh, When I was in Cairo, Egypt, years ago, I was there for an entire summer working with refugees from the Civil War in Sudan. And on the last night, after making some profoundly deep friendships, I remember our plane was leaving in the morning, and my buddy Matt and I set out. We packed a bag. We got some money for the taxi, and we just did a tour around Cairo of everyone who we had met, wanting to wish them well, 
wanting to share with them how important they were to us, what a great time we had together. I remember the last night being on the rooftop deck of this tall building in Cairo where Wasim, my friend from Iraq, this man who had escaped Saddam Hussein's army and fled in order to uh, not only have his own safety and his family's, uh, but then to become a pastor, he had learned how to play the song Hotel California on his oot, which is a beautiful Middle, Middle Eastern instrument. It looks like an oversized guitar with fewer strings. I had never seen one before. And he had translated this song Hotel California over to this entirely different instrument. We sang our hearts out. That night, I achieved one of my goals over the summer was to be able to learn enough Arabic to make a taxi driver laugh by telling jokes in Arabic. And so far, after five and a half weeks, I had fallen short until that last night at 3.30 in the morning when we had a breakdown on the road and I said some joke about how bad his taxi was and we had a great crack up together. I will never forget that night. As sleepless as it was and as many, thing ha- as many things happened at one time, I'll never forget that night because it was my last chance. It was my last chance to say goodbye to Wasim. It was my last chance to try to fulfill this goal that I had. It was my last chance to say goodbye. And we're reading this letter from 2 Corinthians where Paul is writing to this people that he's known for a long time and loved well. And they've had a lot of difficulties together, a lot of joy together. And this is the last thing he says. And the last thing he says, not only farewell and put all things in order, listen to me and agree with one another and live in peace, he blesses them. He gives them a vision of the future of what community could actually look like, and then he commends to them the power to make that happen. In this moment, where we are wondering what the vision of the future of our city is going to look like, the vision of the future of our country is going to look like, what do you have in mind? Here's the vision that Paul has. That you would be filled with the God of love and peace. That those wouldn't merely be slogans, but those would actually be the air we breathe and the currency with which we interact. And how are you going to do it? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Okay? Now, in church terms, the Latin word it comes from the Latin word bene and diction. Bene meaning good, diction meaning word, like dictionary. Benediction means the good word. It's the final blessing. And his final blessing is Trinitarian. I want you to be bathed in the grace of Jesus, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. This is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit blessing that is both the vision for the community and the fuel to make it happen. To unpack that, I want to take you way, way back to page one in a very long book called the Bible. Let me grab my Bible here. And there's another passage that we come to when we consider the Trinity. In fact, the Trinity is infused throughout Scripture. It's one of those those topics that is so mysterious and so grand that we can apprehend it, we can approach it, but we can't comprehend it. We can't fully get our arms around it. It is so mysterious and hard to comprehend that you can almost miss it if you read through Scripture. But once you start paying attention, you see it in many, many places, including the very opening pages of Scripture. So way back, I mean, page 1, paragraph 1, Genesis 1. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. 
while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And that passage is going to go on and describe the ensuing six days of creation where God is going to continually say, let there be the earth, let there be the sea, let there be plants, let there be animals, let there be humanity. In fact, it goes on to verse 26. Then God, now pay attention to the diction here. Um, Kids, if you're paying attention, I think you should get English credit for just paying attention to these sentences. Then God, singular, said, let us, plural, make humankind in our, plural, image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his, singular, image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. See what's going on there? Um, I'm going, to, I'm going to point this out, and then I'm not going to fully explain it. I'm going to appreciate the mystery of the Trinity. But even from page one, we're learning two things. First of all, God is three in one. That very first image, you have the formless void, or in Hebrew, tohu wabohu, which is a way of saying garbage dump. In the very beginning was chaos, and just, it, was a, it was a mess. It was a wreck. And in the beginning, you have God the Creator, and the Spirit hovering over the waters. And God creating through God's word, let there be light. And then there was light. So you have the creator, the spirit, and the word of God all working together in creation. This is really interesting. Stay with me here. Because your worldview will influence not only the vision you have of the future, it will influence your actions in the present. Okay. So question is, um, what is at the core of the universe? Uh, not, not scientifically, of course. Scientifically, is, science is amazing. I'm a huge fan of science. Science can tell us what, and science can tell us how. Science is never designed to tell us why. Why was the, why was the universe created? There are alternative narratives that the early audience of this passage would have been familiar with. One of the oldest and most widely known would have been the Enuma Elish, the Mesopotamian story. And their creation story is far different. Their creation story says that, you know, before all of this, there, were, there was a civil war among the different gods and goddesses. One of them was named Marduk. One of them was named Tiamat. And Marduk and Tiamat got into a great fight, and Marduk vanquished and extinguished Tiamat and torn asunder her body. And through all of that violence came this universe. And so in that worldview, at the core of the universe is violence. Friends, if violence is at the core of your universe, your future will be bleak indeed. Your interpretation of the present will be as well. This is not uncommon in ancient creation narratives. The, uh, the story of how Rome, Rome was created when Romulus killed his brother Remus in a battle to decide who would get to name the city and rule it. At the core of the great empire of Rome was a story of violence. But the Christian story, the Judeo-Christian story, is entirely different. Here, you have a God who at God's core is a community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
God creates out of a sense of overflowing beauty and joy. One of the questions we ask is, why did God create the world? Did God create humanity because God was a jealous, lonely God and needed to create these creatures that could tell God how good God is all the time and make God feel better about God's self? Not at all. The picture of the divine trinity, if you would dive with me into this depth for a moment, the picture of the divine trinity is the image of the Father loving the Son. The Son Loving the Spirit. The Spirit pouring Himself out on behalf of both. For all eternity. There's a beautiful theological term for this. Perichoresis. Two Greek words. Peri meaning around, like perimeter. Choresis meaning dancing, like choreography. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit throughout all time have been doing a beautiful dance of divine love with one another. And out of that divine love came creation. So at the core of the universe is not violence. It's not vanquishing your foes. At the core of the universe is sacrificial, self-giving love that can't get enough of pouring ourselves out in creativity. Do you see the hope in that vision of what creation is all about? And it goes further. In that second part that I read to you, it goes on to say, and humans are created in the image and likeness of that God. That you are actually designed for connection, for creativity, for community. You are designed to pour yourself out in sacrificial, self-giving love for others. This is why all of our best books and movies, and stories, as some part of the crescendo of their plot involves somebody or a group of people giving sacrificially for the good of others, to rescue, to save, to go after them. And our hearts cry out, yes, that is the way the world should be. Why do you think that is? I would make the case. It's because you were designed for it. It's deep in your DNA of what it means to be a human being. I think this is why it's so important in this particular moment and what we're seeing around our nation and around our world is that we are being bound more and more to one another's pain and our cries for help. We're walking with each other. We're standing with each other. Now, on one hand, it's far more difficult. It's far more difficult. I want to read you this quote from C.S. Lewis who wrote... To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. You hear what he's saying? You were created for love, but it is so difficult and so hard and so costly and so painful. The alternative is to say, I'm not going to risk on behalf of my neighbor. 
I'm going to say it's not my problem. I have enough issues myself. The weight of the world is heavy enough. I'm not going to be concerned. And we can live that way and be safe. But there our hearts will shrivel and atrophy and die. We were actually built and designed to bear one another's burdens and to walk with one another. I wonder if this is part of what Benjamin Franklin was getting at when he said, justice will not be served in this world until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. And we're seeing that happen right now in our society. As in love, we have the invitation to hear each other's cries, to see each other's pain, and to walk with one another. And when we're doing that, what I want you to see, Christian friends, the invitation to bear others' burdens, particularly if it's a burden that you don't yourself have to carry, have to deal with, you have the option, the, the luxury, uh, the privilege of actually walking away from, um, that for Christians to choose to walk with, with our neighbors in pain and to move toward the pain points of others, that is not an elective class that we take after we've finished the core curriculum. Okay? That's not a, an extracurricular class. That's not extra credit. I want you to see that that is in the DNA of what it means to be, first of all, a human being created in the image and likeness of God that through the Trinity of all eternity has been pouring himself out on our behalf. It is hardwired into what it means to be a Christian. And friends, as you're listening and you're part of this church, and, and those of you who are not Christians and you know this is a safe place where you are respected and you have all the space you need to ask your questions, I want you to see what you're signing up for if you become a Christian. You're signing up for a life of much more complexity, much more depth, much more weight, and much more vibrancy, more hope, I dare say more joy. Desmond Tutu has this great... Um, Great quote. I have it for you on the quotes page. If you downloaded the worship folder, it's on page two. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who was with Nelson Mandela, uh, he was in South Africa, he lived through apartheid, was imprisoned unjustly. He talks about the Trinity, because after all, he's an archbishop and he has some theological musings. He says, isn't it wonderful that we have the doctrine of the Trinity that speaks of God as a fellowship, a community? And so you have this wonderful image of the community that is God, the Trinity, so that all eternity, the one who is called Father, pours out all of God's being into the Son. And the Son returning from all eternity this love. And you have this movement between the two that is so tremendous that it is God, the Holy Spirit. One of the millions of amazing things about Archbishop Desmond Tutu is that he was a co-author years ago of a book called The Book of Joy. This is a man who is well acquainted with joy, but it's not a naive joy that has never experienced hardship and just thinks the world is another day at Disneyland. This man has been imprisoned. This man has been persecuted. This man has been in pain. And through all of that, he's able to say, I've come out the other side, not more cynical, more bitter, more violent, more closed off. No, no, no. He comes out more connected, more warm, and more joyful. And I'm sure he has many reasons for that, and this is one of them. Because he sees himself as caught up in the great joy of the Trinity. And that's what I want you and me to see today as well. 
that the Trinity is not simply a theological construct that we can study, although it is that. The Trinity is a beautiful divine dance of sacrificial, self-giving love that you and I are invited into. And as we do, we become more alive as well. I think this is why we also value creativity. Creativity in all of its forms. I'm a huge fan of art and good music. I can produce neither, but I can appreciate both. I am also a huge fan of creative leadership. And I was struck this week as I saw a Facebook post of my friend, Mike Murphy, from college, who is now a sergeant in the police department in East County. And I thought he was creative. As a white police officer in our particular moment on Wednesday night, he received a call that three men were vandalizing a business. And he responded to the call and seeing them spray painting and graffitiing on this wall, at least one of these men being African American. Mike has these men sit down and he decides instead of arresting them, he creatively decides to have a conversation with them. And he says to them, the, the words they were painting were peace, love, and Black Lives Matter. And he's, t- and he's talking to these guys and he says, in his uniform, and they're sitting there caught completely, and he says, guys, you're not, you're not spray painting anything wrong or evil or mean. You're, just, you're destroying someone's property, though. How would you feel if someone had painted these messages on your home's wall? And everybody agreed that nobody would appreciate that at all. And so he made them a deal, and he said, I'm not going to arrest you. Go and get some paint and bring it back, and I will help you paint over the graffiti here. And then let's find a place where you can post your message that will be seen and heard and not undermined by destroying property. And later he was, I saw this article, he was um, interviewed on the news. And for him, it was just common sense. Why would I arrest these men? Because after all, that's not going to help them. It's not going to help the system. And the property owner is still going to have graffiti to clean up in the morning because it would still be there. Instead, he found a solution that not only repaired the damage, but took one step toward changing hearts and minds. One step toward a redirection of the future. Creativity. So, Mike Murphy, if you're watching this, bravo to you. Now, the question for you and me is, in this moment, all of us, What is the creativity that you can bring? What's the creativity that you can bring toward loving your neighbor, toward loving yourself? As we talk about the need and desire for equality, for justice, for human rights, whatever your sphere of influence is, how can you creatively be a part of that vision today? Peacefully, filled with love, with overflowing creativity. This, my friends, is our invitation. I think I'll just I'll end with this. Now I want to point out one other thing. If it is true that God, and whatever word you want to call God, I'll grant you, okay? But if it is true that the divine, the one who is behind all creation, who made all people and all things, If that God really is a community at the core, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity, divinely dancing with one another, overflowing with creative love into this world, and you and I are created in the image and likeness of that God, then it means that you and I were created for community. You don't find out who you are 
by going off alone to some mountain for a long time. You find out who you are in the context of a loving community. You don't see your own blind spots on your own. If you could, they wouldn't be blind spots. It's loving community that can say, hey, I've observed this. I'd like to talk to you about this. I want to call you into the best version of yourself. I think this is part of why sheltering in place and quarantining is so difficult and so soul-numbing because it stops the community flow that we so desperately need and desire. And so I invite you to not only join in with the community of Renew Church in all the ways that we can, whether it's online here on Sundays, continuing to come back, our prayer walk for peace on Wednesday night at 5.30, join in with what we're doing. Stay connected. But maybe we double down in this season as well as we're calling for peace. Maybe the peace begins in our homes, begins on our block, begins in our own hearts. You are made for community. The other thing I want to point out is that with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have community amidst diversity. Okay? There are ancient theological constructs that will say in, in, in Latin and other ancient languages, the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. And yet the three distinct, different persons of the Trinity are all one God. Okay? If you go with me for just a second, it's not saying it's, uh, it's one person in three different modes. You know, there's, there are different metaphors for this God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're like um, H2O, and it's three different phases of ice, liquid, and vapor. No, that's actually an old heresy called modalism. Uh, and it's not saying that there are three different gods. It's saying in their diverse, distinctly different personalities, they are completely unified as one. Which means to be created in the image and likeness of God, to be a community that reflects that unity, is that the basis of our unity as a church, at Renew Church, is not that we all look the same. It's not even that we all think the same. It's not even that we all vote the same, even though how you vote really, really matters. It is not how we believe and think on all sorts of important topics It's that we are united in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the centering unifier of the church. That is what invites us to diversity amidst our unity together. And finally, as we conclude, I just want to circle back. So we we took a, a dive all the way back to the very beginning of Scripture. And we unpacked a little bit of the Trinity. Now we're back to 2 Corinthians as Paul is writing to that urban, diverse church, trying to figure out how to follow Christ. And he says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. He's saying, this is not only something for you to think about and consider. This is not only a divine dance that I want you to meditate on. You are actually invited to come into this dance. Um, on that trip to Cairo in 2003, I went to a Sudanese wedding. It was my first Sudanese wedding. It made me feel really good about not being on time often because Sudanese time is even farther behind Matt and Alt time. So I was actually early. And I showed up thinking I was going to observe this beautiful wedding. 
with all of the amazing dancing and singing and joy. And as I arrived, I was honored as the bride and groom's family asked if I would actually be a part of the ceremony. I had the, <laughs> the greatest invitation. My role in that ceremony was to be the flower bearer coming down the middle of the aisle. So I have photos of me as, as a flower man, I guess you would say. But here's the point. I showed up thinking I was about to watch something, but the invitation went far deeper. I was invited to participate in something, to be involved in something more deep. And friends, that is the invitation for you and me today. I want to conclude this sermon by showing you an image, uh, which we'll put on the screen right now. This is an image from the 15th century from Russia by a famous iconist named Rublev. And Rublev paints this icon of the Trinity. And at the table, you have the Trinity where you have around the table the, the three persons who are figured from the left to the center to the right are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you have the Son in the middle, Jesus, with His fingers on the table. The two fingers, they say, connotate His divinity and His humanity. But the way that that icon was painted is intriguing. You have the three members of the Trinity sitting around the table, around the elements of communion. But the way it's painted, it's actually called reverse perspective. And it's painted in such a way that it's designed that you and I, as we gaze upon it, realize that you are actually the fourth person at the table. In this icon, you are invited not only to gaze upon the life and the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you and I are invited to take a seat at the table, to eat and to drink, and to find our identity in that great love. And friends, when you do, don't you see that you and I have a greater resource than we can ever imagine to live a life that is full of grace and love and communion and connection? And so friends, that's my invitation to you today. As we walk through whatever this next week may bring, renew church. May you be an agent of God's renewal. As we say, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do pray now that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you convince us of your great love for us, that you would help us to be living into that calling of divine image bearers, that our life through all of the tragedy and beauty of this world would be marked by being a part of a divine dance that not only receives love but pours it out, that not only appreciates your creativity and your beauty but is marked by creative beauty going outward as well. And Lord, would you fill us with yourself as we see you invite us to this table right here to join you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in communion and fellowship with you and with one another. And we pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In your name, amen.